0: Hey everybody, welcome to Connected. I'm Kyle Van Pelt, co-founder and CEO of Mile Marker. My co-host is Judd Mackerel, co-founder of Milemarker as well. Connected is a show about the people and technologies that are shaping and building the wealth management industry. More people than ever are searching for great financial advice, and more firms than ever are trying to figure out how to scale their operations to serve those who are searching for their advice. We believe that better connected technology provides the space for better connected people, which leads to better advice. Welcome to Connected.
1: Hey everybody, welcome back to Connected. I am your host, Kyle Van Pelt, CEO of MileMarker. And today I have the privilege of being joined by another Kyle, Kyle Wesley. Kyle is the chief digital officer at the Bleakley Financial Group. Kyle is responsible for taming the technology chaos that comes from a fast growing firm like that. And he is a proud Penn State Nittany lion. Kyle, did I miss anything in that intro? Uh, it was a good intro. I have to start the podcast by saying, great name. Yeah,
2: I mean, there's not too
1: many Kyles that
2: I meet. Um, and, you know, it's it funny that we met uh, the last day of the Orion conference. Just having breakfast before we departed, you know, how many months ago? Almost a year ago now. And now here we are. Here Um, we are, man. One of the few Kyle's I get to talk to. It's a
1: beautiful thing. It is. And it's always a pleasure, man. So first things first, football season is right around the corner. May have actually just started by the time this comes out. You are a Penn State Nittany Lions. Been a good couple of years for you guys. How are you feeling about the team? Cautiously optimistic. Uh,
2: And that's typically how I am on pretty much uh, all sports. Um, I'm also a Philly fan. So, you know, I've been let down over the years. (laughs) So anyway, yeah, I mean, I hope I hope another good season. Yeah, absolutely. Do you do you get to make it out there to, to Penn State at all for any games? Um, not recently. I, I was supposed to actually go to our home opener against uh, West Virginia with a couple yeah. of friends, uh, but, you know, we just had uh, baby number two and we were like, I don't know, I might be cutting it close. Um, you know, being that he's only two months right now. Uh, yeah. But in hindsight, he's really good and we should have went. But, uh, but yeah, hopefully I can take both him and my daughter up at some point. Uh, yeah, you have to. Happy Valley.
1: Yeah. Happy Valley is just one of the coolest football environments in college football. Um, yeah. I mean, I know you have some incredible ones in the SEC down where I'm at and everything, but Happy Valley is, uh, is is a blast. I have a couple cousins who went to Penn State and it was like some of the most fun going to a football game I've ever been to.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I really, uh, you know, once you go there, you just sort of drink the Kool-Aid. People will do the chants outside and I'm like, all right, you know, like it's, it's more fun when you're there than anyone, everyone does like the we are Penn State chants when you're here. And I'm like, eh, it doesn't hit the same,
1: you know, <laughs> but... Yeah. Noted, man. All right. So let's dive in a little bit. So you're the chief digital officer at Bleakly. I think I have a decent grasp on what that looks like. But for the folks listening, help them understand what the responsibilities of a chief digital officer are at a fast-growing RIA. I
2: think the, it's kind of similar to what a chief technology officer does, but more platform-driven so, you know, we oversee my team, the portfolio accounting system, the sales, Salesforce, or our CRM, document management, the trading platform, uh, all the other tools that everyone uses. So, you know, the DocuSigns, we, we administer all those tools, anything break, fix related uh, integrations between those tools. Uh, we also oversee our managed IT provider. So anything network related, uh, cybersecurity Hardware, break fix there, you know, the Zoom phones, internet. The other key piece that we oversee is the, the trading at our firm. So we have some couple of prop strategies. We oversee some ETF models, do some block trading for folks. Uh, and then the last sort of bucket I would just kind of put is project management across the platform. So any, any new vendor we're onboarding, anything new that we're adding, how we sort of integrate it into the practice.
1: It's pretty impressive that your head can fit all of those hats on uh, at once. That's a lot of hats to wear. Uh,
2: it's not just me. But yeah, it, it, it's fun because there, there's, it, you know, this industry, it's it's amazing how quickly it changes and how many uh, different solutions are out there in the marketplace. With so many advisors here, you're always kind of hearing uh, about different things that people are interested in. So uh, yeah. it definitely, definitely keeps us up to date with everything that's kind of going on.
1: So let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, listen, the the Michael Kitsis map is is gr- it, it, it's like a portfolio, right? It compounds year over year it feels like, right? And right. Uh, the snowball just keeps getting bigger. Seems like there's a new announcement of a new piece of technology almost daily if not multiple times a day. From the seat that you sit in, obviously you just mentioned advisors will bring you things to to pay attention to or look at. But how do you stay on top of the constant change that's happening in our industry technology-wise?
2: It's a good question. Uh, so you mentioned Kitsies, definitely listen to the, the Kitsies podcast. There's another one that I like. I'm a big podcast guy. Uh, there's a COO roundtable that I listen to. I, I'm, I subscribe to some blogs here and there. I talk to our vendors a ton. So I'm big on communication. I like to know what's going on uh, at each one of the vendors, any partnerships that they, they have. And then. Like like you mentioned, uh, advisors do bring stuff to us all the time. You know, I get cold emails, uh, things through LinkedIn, uh, and I try to pick and choose what I kind of want to dive into, what might make sense for Bleakly. Uh, we also are a uh, hybrid RIA, so you know, we we have uh, broker dealer affiliation with LPL, so it kind of makes it easier from a tech perspective what, what's approved or not approved on their platform. On the RIA side, you know, we have to be the ones that decide whether or not we're going to approve something, so that. Uh, the due diligence on that is a little bit deeper of course just because we don't have lpl in there deciding if it's okay for uh, advisors to use so c- kind of a bunch of different avenues to to stay up to date
1: and then do you so do you guys consider yourself an open architecture firm advisors can kind of use whatever they want or do you have a predefined stack hey if you come and work with bleakly these are the pieces of technology that that we're going to say that you use Yeah, so we have
2: a predefined stack, but then advisors are welcome to add or decide to to go out and look for something else. Um, it does have to be bleakly approved, of course. Some things we're able to support because, you know, maybe not everyone uses it, but we have 10 or 15 advisor teams that use it. We'll be able to support it because we've done the due diligence. We can administer it. But then, yeah, there's other things that if they're just not approved, we'll we'll go and review and decide whether or not we bring them on the platform. But there's probably a core, you know, five or six systems that everyone has to use um, at Bleakly.
1: Yeah, okay. Uh, if you don't mind sharing, what are those core five or six systems that are that are helping you guys run so efficiently? Sure. Um, so we use Orion for performance
2: reporting and portfolio accounting. We use Salesforce. It's actually an overlay uh, called Practify for our CRM. Uh, we use Ignite for our document management. Uh, we use Red Black as our trading application. Uh, we use eMoney uh, for the planning side, and then. I would say uh, a recent partner is Pantera, uh, So that's another uh, kind of, I guess, key software that we've recently added.
1: And so I think you have that kind of core five or six there that you just mentioned, which makes up the stack. And then you have technology from LPL that you guys are using. You just talked to us about how you stay on top of everything that's coming in. What is kind of the hurdle or the bar for you when it's like, hey, this might make sense now to add a, a seventh piece or an eighth piece? Because, you know, every every piece you add to that stack, right, the kind of the harder it gets to manage, to tie it together, to do all of that stuff. So talk to us about the mental criteria or even, you know, how you guys think about, all right, this is probably worth kind of introducing the complexity of putting another piece in the stack.
2: Yeah, so I think the first thing is where it's going to fit. Does does it integrate and to, to what extent it actually integrates? You know, everyone says, oh, we have great integrations, but what does that mean? Is it, you know, first name, last name, or is it something more significant? Obviously, Orion's Open Architect, they integrate with a ton of different platforms. But we want to make sure that, you know, we, we check off the compliance boxes, make sure that we have the certain documentation on file. And then I like to look to see, is it anything that our existing platforms can already do or not. If it's something maybe people aren't leveraging, maybe that's just part of the conversation, but if it's really a differentiator, that's when we start to look at okay, does this make sense to really kind of deep dive? And like I mentioned before, if someone wants to use something that is already approved, it just might be the conversation that hey, you know, it might not be the best fit for bleakly as a whole, but you are welcome to use it. And you'll have the support that you need with, I guess, that vendor. The, the only time we're really going to bring something on board to all of Bleakly is if we make sure that we can actually support it so that uh, the advisors get the leverage to, to use it.
1: The, the relationship between an advisor and Bleakly, are they kind of treating Bleakly like a superpowered back office for them? So, you know, Bleakly's running a lot of the technology and they're kind of submitting requests to you all. Or what does this support relationship look like? Because you have this great team. You've got this technology that you've worked hard to integrate um, so talk to us about, you know, kind of the, I, I guess I would say the value that Bleakly adds to these firms that helps everybody grow better together. Typically, when
2: advisors join Bleakly, it's really an affiliation model. What we do for them is I'll kind of work a way around our management team. We give them the infrastructure to run their business as they see fit, as long as they're complying with our kind of policies and procedures. So uh, an advisor joins Bleakly, a lot of times they'll have an assistant. If they don't have an assistant, we have an option to to leverage our managed services, which is a a group that will take care of all the client service work. When you join Bleakly, you automatically get the technology team, which is my team, to handle all the things I mentioned before. Uh, we have a, you know, we have our billing analyst. We have uh, a controller. So they'll, they'll handle all the billing of the accounts, all the finances. You know, we use Power BI to show everyone, uh, kind of like their P and L. Uh, we have a great investment operations team three folks. So anything custodian related, uh, that all flows through them. If there's any escalations or questions or any new relationship, third-party managers, et cetera. Uh, We have a a marketing team. We have compliance, of course. And of course, we have a life coach that's also on staff here. You kind of get all of those pieces when you join bleakly at no additional cost. And then we have um, options to add different services, namely like the think tank, for example, we have a group of analysts that will help with your trading, uh, with financial planning, uh, with takeover proposals. So all then there's a bunch of optional pieces like that, where if advisors uh, wanna use it, they can, and they can pay a fee for it, or they, they don't use it and that's fine too. The biggest thing is we try to get advisors to go out out and advise and, and get clients, and we kind of handle all the stuff that they wouldn't want to handle. So that's yeah. sort of the, the affiliation.
1: I, I I love that. I think that's been a trend that we've been seeing of the firms that are the growing the fastest. It is that they, the home office, quote unquote, is providing a lot of infrastructure and, and, and almost trying to make it to where the advisor doesn't have to do anything except for you know find clients and serve clients right they're they're submitting trade requests to the home office they're submitting technology requests to the home office they're sort of outsourcing anything that could be a bottleneck to serving the client or bringing on the client and the home office firms are getting really really good at that this analogy that i've used a ton is it's kind of like a great restaurant right the advisor is sort of out there in the front of house they're taking the order from the investors which are the diners they're making sure they're having a wonderful experience all of that they're bringing that order back to the kitchen and the kitchen is just an efficient machine, right? So that front of house is all experience and service and relationship and memory making. And then that back of house, that kitchen is just, you know, here we are going to pump out high quality food for the diners as fast as we can. And the advisory firms that are growing the fastest and having the most success, it feels like the setup is like that. And that sounds a lot like what you just described.
2: Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, it's. it's been working really well. Advisors seem to like it because they can go out and, and do what they love to do. They don't want to be caught up in paperwork or any of the, the back office type things. One person here, um, it's actually our life coach. She always makes the analogy that it's like a mall and that each one of the advisors are their own store. They're doing their own thing, but we have the the shared resources internally that they're able to leverage to make sure that their store runs as best as possible. So
1: uh, great analogy too. It's, it's, like it's that. very similar. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, it's fantastic. We're just we're full of analogies here today. <laughs> Actually, I heard you on what was the podcast that you did
2: there? There's there was somewhere else where you had really good analogies. I think it was like Wealth Stack, or I was, it was mm. I guess that's another thing that I listened to. Uh, it's like some of like the the Orion stuff, um, but but it was really good.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, well, I think this stuff is just so it's so heady that trying to figure out how to to put it into simple analogies makes it, you know, makes it easy. But the, all of us love like stories and love those simple things that we can associate to to help us understand a little bit more complex concepts. And so you guys are bringing on advisors and assets uh, in, a, in a meaningful clip. I'm curious about the the fun question of what challenges do you run into when trying to manage a platform with a firm that's growing that fast? Uh, so I think the first
2: thing that comes to mind is, you know, obviously implementation of, of new um, processes or new technology in general. Um, is, that
1: a, is that like a behavior, like a, an adoption and a, and a user behavior change and change management? Or are you talking about implementation just of, hey, we, we have something, we need to get it installed into what the current environment looks like?
2: Yeah, I would say both. But I was kind of thinking of the first where you... You have something that you want everyone to leverage, but because everyone is their own store in the mall, quote unquote, everyone might run slightly differently. So there's some things that I was saying before that we make everyone prescribe to. If you need a, uh, this type of request, it comes through the CRM, and this is how we execute on it. Now, when you add another a new process or a new tech into the into the ecosystem, how is that going to work? How is it going to fit in? How does that not feel so clunky that people won't? leverage the process. So that's something that we've, I think, gotten better with over time from feedback, because we, we try to get feedback from all the advisors, all the staff, what works, what doesn't work. I, I feel like we, we've gotten better because we decided that, well, everything that we're going to do, we pilot now. We pilot with a small user group, we get feedback, and then we try to implement whatever they say, get more feedback before we kind of roll it out slowly to a broader group and a broader group until it's you know fully rolled out to all all advisors and staff. But yeah, that's the tricky thing, uh, getting people to prescribe. And then, you know, the constant training, that's an area probably of improvement for most firms, I would think. Like you constantly have to get in front of everyone and make sure that everyone knows exactly how everything's working. So that's another thing that uh, we're trying to definitely be better with.
1: Actually, one thing I, I hear a little bit in there, which I think is a great process, but you know, most of the things when it comes to technology, oh. Kyle, uh, all of the the people are selling about how this is. They don't say this, but it's a silver bullet, right? It's just going to make you more efficient. Sure. Sure. It's going to do all these yeah. sort of things, right? And I and I think that one of the, the the challenges we run into a lot is that people want all of these things to happen almost instantly. But what I just heard you say is, hey, if we're going to put a new initiative in place, I mean. I, I don't know if you want to share how long it could typically take to go from, hey, we're going to, you know, we're going to pilot this with a small group of users. We're going to work out the kinks and then we're going to, you know, sure. add a bigger group and we're going to work out the and all that stuff. And it's like, that sounds like, hey, it takes a little while from we're doing this thing to, hey, it is fully implemented all the way and not just we bought it and installed it, right? Sure.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a really good point. Uh, a lot of people don't see that behind the scenes about how much work actually goes into it. They just see, you know, the kind of the final product it depends the the scope of what's being done um we've gotten pretty good with documentation of you know h- how this is going to work and kind of iterations of that documentation i've been trying to get really 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 good with what it looks like and making sure that the actual process is documented all the steps that got us there um it could be you know it could be a couple of months I'll use Pontera because I mentioned them earlier. That, for example, we, we had contract negotiations back last year at the end of the year. Probably took a couple months in, you know, end of, of 22. Then we had them on site. They spoke to all the management team, the executive committee. And we kind of started maybe March, April. And so we did it in waves. And we had, you know, a group of, of five advisors and their teams added to Pantera. And then we kind of did it month over month. And it probably ramped up by the end of June. So, I mean, you think about that. From contract signed to when it's actually fully out, I mean six months. Uh, of course, a lot of people don't see all the calls you're doing with the with the vendors, with the the people that are here to make sure they're trained on on the systems. The ongoing weekly check in, what's going on, making sure the Orion integrations set up, making sure the think tank, uh, the analyst group set up to do the trading, make sure all the permissions are set up. All these little things that no one sees behind the scenes is you know. That's what takes all the time. And you know, I'm 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 a little bit crazy with that type of stuff. So I like to make sure everything's buttoned up before it gets out the door.
1: I I think that's good though, because at the end of the day going back to using my restaurant analogy, right? You wouldn't go serve a dish if the line doesn't know how to fully make the dish or if you don't know, you know what the pricing is going to be on it or whatever. You wouldn't go offer this to a table of diners and then be like, well, how much is it? And you're like, ah, you know, we're not sure yet. but right. um but it's a great dish. you're you're gonna love it, right? right. You, you want to make sure that it that it's that's buttoned and polished. and I think, this is all, you know, an interesting byproduct of the Silicon Valley concept of the minimum viable product, which is not a bad concept, but I think people have lost sight of what the word viable means. A lot of people have just sort of put together minimal products and get them out uh, without them being viable, viable meaning everything you just described, right? Is it implemented? Do we have a plan to roll it out? Do we know how to train people on it? Is it documented? All of that. That is what makes it viable um, and usable in a firm when things are going so fast, right? So I, I love the way you lay that out, and and I think for the for the folks listening to this, you know, it's like I think the message I want you to take away is don't don't beat yourself up if a technology implementation is going a little bit longer than you think. I mean, in reality, you can probably only do you know a, a couple, a handful of these a year because they do just take time and resource and energy and effort to make sure they're done well for you, or you're going to end up with this is the podcast of analogies, but uh, my business partner Judd loves to talk about everybody has in their house, a box of cords, you know, they're all like old chargers, or like, you know, old things that you keep in a box for someday, you might need them one day. I don't know why we all have one. But it's like, if you if you don't take the time to do what Kyle's talking about here, you end up with that box of cords of a bunch of projects that are half finished, half baked, and whatever, rather than making sure that that all of those are taken care of properly.
2: Yeah. I mean, a lot of times when you look back at the, at the year and you know, you're going through it throughout the year and you're just like, wow, you know, this is taking a long time or I just wanted to get this over the finish line. Then you look back and you, and you see a couple of major initiatives that you accomplished that year. And it's like, you know, sometimes in the moment, it feels like it's not worth, but it absolutely is, uh, you know, once it's over the finish line.
1: All right, let's talk a little bit about integration. It's a hot it's a hot topic. I think you guys have done a pretty good job on that and you even mentioned, "Hey, when evaluating a piece of technology, we want to we want to do some due diligence on what integration looks like." Cuz everybody tells you they they integrate, right? The the word integration is a salesperson's best friend. I'm I'm curious for you like, you know, maybe the the positives and the negatives of integration for you in those core five or six, but you also have a bunch of satellite pieces of technology as well. So how does Bleakly think about integration and solve the integration problem today? Uh, so
2: I think the the other favorite word is uh, open API, or that maybe <laughs> that's two, two, two words. The integrations that we have in place, I think, are pretty good. We have kind of like a diagram that we'll lay out and we'll show what talks to what. The challenging part of any integration is if you have different platforms, it's never going to be you know completely seamless between them. No matter where you navigate, uh, unless you have one place that you're going to. So like it's the biggest it's the biggest leap of faith, if you will, when you're talking to a wirehouse advisor that goes to one place. They do their account opening there. They do their reporting there. They do everything right from the one place in the RIA space. It's just nothing like that. I mean, obviously a lot of these uh, different vendors are trying to do that. That's sort of the goal. And, you know, some of them are doing it pretty well. But when you're, when you've been in the business, I mean, Bleakley's been independent since 2015. Of course, you know, over 30 years before that, you know, they they were Northwestern office. We kind of added the technologies that we needed at the time. And you tie them together. You know, like we have Orion uh, porting into into Salesforce, so we have all the asset information. When you have the Salesforce engine running, now you can do a lot of uh, automation off of that uh, off of that data. You know, we, we pull in our document management into our CRM. You can do some DocuSign through CRM. There's 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 pieces, but it's not like it's just one platform that you can go to where it's going to be everything. So that's definitely the challenge, because you have to teach everyone where you need to go for which thing, and it's not going to be one spot.
1: Yeah, I think that's an interesting uh, challenge, especially with what we talked about before, we'll use the mall analogy of your life coach, right? It's like, you're not dictating what point of sales you know system that each mall kiosk is using, right? So they're all in there running their mall kiosk. And it's like, okay, well, how do I get the sales data from all of those Point of sale systems into our you know giant accounting system or ledger right at the mall, or, and, and you know that's breaking down a little bit because malls don't do that. But that's what Obliquely has to do, right? Is like right. each of these stores, we have to figure out how to how to you know bring all of their their assets and data in. And I think that's the challenge. Is okay, the the home office like Bleakly is going to have a really powerful platform like a Salesforce like something. But what I, I think what has been missing in the industry is like what is that that in between platform between the the mall kiosks in your analogy and the mall itself that helps just connect all of the those pieces of data um, with the platforms each are respectively using. Because you're you're dead on that they're not using the exact same thing. And so you either have to train them which system to go to all the time, or we have to figure out what is kind of the the screen that they can use to make those requests to send the data to you, all of that type of stuff. Right. Um, it's, a, it's an interesting challenge. It is. And
2: people, this is a feedback that we've gotten too. There's so many good points on this, like the custodial data versus what we're getting in Orion, versus you know like I'm just gonna use something basic like there's systematics that are set at the custodian well you have to manually do those in Orion why we, we did a mass rebalance well why doesn't that flow into the CRM as something that we we did for the client that's something that we did but now I have to go manually add it for all these clients like little things like that then now there's tools to do it that make it easier to do that in mass but still and then like we were saying before devil's in the details there's little things that would just If you had one system to do it all and, you know, you have to design that to be the perfect system and that's the silver bullet, that would make everyone's life easier.
1: I, you, you mentioned something before, and uh, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk to you about it a little bit, but how your firm's using Power BI. So this is something that we're seeing at Milemarker quite a bit. You know, as we help get firms get their data more centralized and right, you can sort of have a proper implementation of business intelligence. Um, I think our industry is a graveyard of failed BI implementations because, you know, the data is disparate, as we're just talking about, right? It's all over. You guys use uh, Power BI. You said for P&Ls for offices. Are you doing anything else with it? Is the executive team at Bleakly using that to help drive growth? Is there any anything else being done with BI at Bleakly right now? Uh so we we house
2: all of our data in Azure and we use Power BI to kind of surface that data for the executive committee from a high level of uh how the firm's doing, but then it breaks down into all of the individual advisors, P and L's and uh, you know, their permission, each one of their own PLs, so they can see what the you know, what the, the commission run was, what the ticket charges were for the quarter, what the the you know, the expenses were for staff or technology or, or whatever it may be. That's how we're using it today. Um, you know, I've seen stuff at conferences and I know things that you guys are doing where you're looking at the business more holistically. We're really only right now concentrated on like really advisors P and L, but it, it, you know, Orion does an okay job with their trends tool. Uh, I think it leaves something to be desired, you know, and, and it's one of these things where if you own the data and, and you're deciding, what you want the the data point, how you want that data point to show. and I use I'll use new money as an example because everyone hates this with how Orion reports new money. and this is an Orion bashing session. I do love Orion. They're a great vendor. but you know you get custodial data from you know for us, five different sources currently about to be four. and they're, Transactions are coded differently. How do you give your advisor a meaningful number that they look at? And they're like, that's not right. That's usually what I hear first. So that's the part where it's like, okay, well, if you're using a BI tool and you're deciding, no matter if it's from LPL, Schwab, Pershing, Fidelity, that this accounts as new money, well, all of a sudden you can display something that's meaningful.
1: That That is uh, incredibly insightful. It's amazing how many firms we talk to who it's like they're trying to solve that exact challenge. It's like, how do we how do we understand what, you know, the new money is that is not from market, not from all these sort of things. Sure. Right. We want to we want to get an idea of what our actual growth is right from from new clients, all of that stuff. And it's all just lumped together in a lot of ways. Right. And, uh, and yeah, and I hear you. So I appreciate you sharing that. That's awesome. Yeah. I, um, I do want to just add because.
2: One thing that's interesting here, and maybe it's the same at other advisory firms, different teams look at things differently. So, like we were saying with our mall or restaurant analogy, each advisor, like, oh, well, I don't include new money if the fee is zero. (laughs) So, so, but like if you have a BI tool, now you say, okay, well, exclude any account that has a zero, you know, zero fee schedule. And now all of a sudden they have a meeting number for them. And then the advisor next to them that says, oh, no, we, we include that. Then it works for them too. So, I mean, I think that that's the power and that's obviously a very basic one. You could say the same thing for new accounts, new households, um, you know, maybe you're doing marketing campaigns. There's so many different metrics you could really look at and dive into by practice. So, it's
1: really Incredible. Yeah, yeah that's 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 great insight. And for for a lot of the firms out there trying to figure out, you know, what would we do with BI? Uh you just had a 3-minute sort of uh, masterclass on You know, at least where to start uh, with, with how you could leverage business intelligence. So I appreciate you sharing that. So I want you to reach down on your desk real quick and pick up your crystal ball and, uh, and, and tell us where you see, where you see the industry going. You know, there's so much changing. There's all kinds of hype around AI. There's new regulations coming. There's all these sort of things, right? So from where you sit, if you tried to look out a couple of years into the future and navigate bleakly to success, I mean, where do you see things going? How are you thinking about the future of the industry?
2: I'd love to say that we would be on one platform. I don't think that's a realistic thing. So I I think that having a data warehouse that we were talking about and having a user interface, which could be both just a, a, a website that you go to that pulls everything together and or a BI tool is where I hope that we get to so that you know, it's not these bespoke systems that are communicating, but not in a way that I want them to communicate. Like I I would love to be able to go to one advisor, like this is your platform. This is where you go to do everything. You need to submit a technology request. You go here. You need to submit something to the think tank. You go here. You need a billing thing. You go here. And all of it's being powered by a data warehouse and it's all being surfaced for the advisor to make that experience feel like like a warehouse and I, I don't I don't want to feel like a warehouse because we're, we're not a warehouse I feel like the, the independent space is th- there's there's so much more sharing that goes on between firms everyone's willing to talk to one another because everyone's kind of running into the same issues but that's ultimately where I hope that we can, get to so that each advisor has a very very consistent experience and i wouldn't say that they don't today it's just that you only have to go to one platform wait why do do i have okta that logs me into 15 different systems no i just want one that would be the the ultimate goal I think AI is going to be, yeah, you know, of course, playing uh, a big role in the future. There's been a, a ton of stuff around regulation, so it'll be interesting to see kind of how that plays out. You know, whether or not you're you're making a recommendation or the the AI is biased, like toward towards uh, like older clients or something, that will be interesting just just to see like how does the SEC come in and enforce something like that. But there's so much benefit you can get from there. I mean, yeah, I know Salesforce has a, kind of like an analytics cloud or something now. I, I was, I was uh, on a, a webinar because something like that, you know, catch my eye. And I'm like, okay, that, that's something that's interesting. That could be a game changer. All of a sudden, it's looking at things like, oh, are, are your clients, uh, you know, approaching retirement? Are they re- approaching RMD? Like, is it going to get to the point where you install something or maybe it's natively built in that instead of... Being you know you going to search for it, it's coming to you and saying, you know what, this is what you need to do, Mister and Mister Advisor. Oh, you know you've gotten these many referrals. You need to ask this person because they might be the next best you know lead gen. So I think that that will kind of probably. I mean, it's, it's happening so fast. I don't know how much AI oh, yeah. stuff that you're you're following. Probably a ton. I just I don't know where it will fit in the industry in in our ecosystem, um, but I definitely hope somewhere.
1: Great thoughts. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, everybody's talking about AI right now. And I think right now, uh, most of the things you're seeing on AI are for content generation, which is somewhat interesting to our space, but maybe not the most interesting. I mean, I think there's some use cases. Where I think it starts to get really interesting is what you're talking about. How do you put it in a, rather than taking your data to AI... Right? How do you secure and lock down all of your data and then apply AI in your sort of safeguard? I know that's one of the big concerns our industry has is, hey, I've got a lot of PII. I've got a lot of things that I am responsible for that I can't right. just go put out into this big black box of, uh, of AI stuff. Sure. But if we can apply the, the generative AI or the, the the large language models to our own data in our own safe environment, now you start to be able to do some really interesting stuff with it. And I think that's kind of what our industry is waiting for. Um, and you're absolutely right. Like, you start to surface up things. My business partner Judd likes to say we're we're entering a prompt-based world, right? Where you're just going to want to go and and submit a prompt to to get an answer and not um not have to, you know, to do a bunch of clicking around and all of that sort of stuff.
2: It's truly amazing. I mean, you look at obviously ChatGPT, you can prompt them for for anything and it just goes in a little query, the response. I mean, you there's so many different applications for it. I think the again the importance, obviously locking down PII is is it's the most important thing. You know, I think cybersecurity in general is, is probably the biggest threat to, to our business. But if you, if you're able to normalize the data because you have it from so many sources, that's where AI becomes more meaningful. If you have things that are entered differently across different platforms, the, the language model is not going to be as good as if everything is the same and it's consistent because you've filtered it down, uh, to say, this is what I want you to look for. So yeah, I mean, really,
1: really interesting. Yeah, absolutely, man.
0: All right. Well, I appreciate uh, all
1: of the insights on the industry, all of that sort of stuff. I love to, to always create a little bit of space to talk about stuff you care about that's not necessarily in the industry. So are there any, any causes, any nonprofits, anything that you're involved with outside of Bleakley that you want to you know take some time to talk about?
2: Uh, really my, my, my two kids and my wife, that's, that's, uh, that's not the extent of it. I've got a three-year-old girl and, uh, an eight week old boy. Um, so they are sort of front and center on everything right now. They keep us busy. My, my daughter has, uh, more energy than, than, uh, (laughs) and I can almost even deal with, you know, it's, it's really just spending time with them. We're always looking for something fun to do for them uh, each weekend. But uh,
1: yeah, I don't know if I've got a better answer than that. Uh, I don't know if there is a better answer than that, man. Kudos to you. That's amazing, you know, and that's a, that's a hectic time. Three, three three-year-old and and eight-week-old is uh, more than a handful wishing you and your wife the best as you continue to intentionally pour into those kids' lives and, uh, and have fun with them and find fun things to do. Yeah. Much
2: appreciated. Uh, we actually found out we actually just closed on a, on a house too, um, on the the day that my son was born. So, uh, it's, uh, you know, do it all at once, make it
1: chaotic. Why not? So here we are. Get it knocked out. Well, congratulations, man. That's awesome. Thank you. Um, thanks so much for coming on the show. You have dropped a ton of amazing insight into what it takes to put together a really successful technology platform for a fast-growing firm. And I even learned a lot from, from hearing you talk today. So, I appreciate you coming on and sharing your wisdom. Thanks for having me. Uh, I have to say this is my first podcast. I'm a big podcast
2: listener, so I'm going to be uh, very critical uh, of, of the responses that I that I gave. Um, yeah. But it was it's been great. It was great meeting you uh, all those months ago. Um, yeah. And I look forward to the you know continued relationship. Uh, it's uh, been really great.
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, thanks for coming on, sure. everybody. This has been another episode of Connected. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you on the next one.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Connected. This podcast is brought to you by MileMarker and it is produced by TurnCast. You can subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please leave a review as it helps us and our show. And for more information about MileMarker and Connected, visit us at milemarker.co.